All right, so in Ecclesiastes chapter, one of my favorite books, by the way, it was one of those books where when I started, when I started to really seek God, someone suggested try reading it, and I, I wasn't acquainted with the Bible hardly at all, so I was still trying to ask people to help me, and I read this book, and I went, it hit me like a ton of bricks, and then the person said, yeah, you don't have to be someone that grew up in church or even familiar with the Bible. It's so powerful that it just punches you because this person that has more resources, abilities, talent, skill, he's got everything at his feet. There's nothing lacking, and he uses it all to try to bring meaning and completeness and contentment in his life, and he fails every time, and he ends up going meaningless, meaningless, Everything is meaningless, and it doesn't mean the things in your life aren't meaningful, but without God, you'll, re you'll realize they do not fill that, that void that God stamped in your heart when you were in your mother's womb to go, if you don't find me, you missed it. And if we look in um, uh, Ecclesiastes and chapter 12 and just drop down to verse... 13, and he sums up the whole book. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And the conclusion of the matter... And he says here, the whole duty of mankind. Now, you know how many people would disagree with that? Billions. Yeah. Billions. Even people that say, I believe in God, but I don't believe my whole first priority is to make sure that my whole duty of my whole existence on earth is to fear God and will keep his commandments. Because then you're going to have to go, I have to be wanting to pay attention and learn his commandments. Not just the Ten Commandments. You're going to want to go, well, how can I just... Because no one, even if they believe in God or grew up in church, can, they're going to have to go, do I know God's Word and is it important to me now, God's words? Yeah. Because you can't really say you really, even if you want to agree with that, you can't unless you strive to have the heart to understand what God desires and how to even understand His commandments. Not, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, and then the, what's really interesting is he says here, God will bring every deed into judgment. Why does he say that? Because he's trying to remind everybody that while you're alive, yeah, there should be a little fear in there. Yeah. But that's not the whole point. Because unless he gets your attention to realize, I'm trying to appeal to you out of love, but just to let you know, if you go your own way and decide not to put me first, not to seek me, you're going to be judged. Either way, there's judgment. And you know what? I'm seeing everything, and I'm trying to help you understand how to have grace in Christ and how to have the right heart. Because God looks at the heart. He wants the heart to change. That's what it is. It's not a record of, like, look at me, look at me. But if your heart isn't willing to change and be willing to love and put him first and want to learn and then be cor and handle correction, then... You're missing it, and that's why he's saying, listen. And then, then look what he even says beyond that. I'm going to bring every deed in judgment. And then why does he have to say this? Including every hidden thing. Because we're hard-headed. 
Why? He says God will judge every deed. Most people will think, okay, well, if, God, if they believe in God, God sees everything. But then he says, even the hidden things. Well, what are you talking about? The hidden things. I, I thought that's what you were talking about. No, now he's getting real. The, the most secret sins, the things that you do and that you've done and maybe did last night, that no one knows but you. It's like, I see it. And you're not fearing me. Because you're just taking it casually and not making an effort to go help me. That's the problem. If you just, oh, I know it's wrong. No one's perfect. Like, remember we were talking and Chaz did a great job in his Bible talk. But, you know, uh, it, we started laughing at each other going, we're all, people started saying this indirectly. We said, that's what the world says. I know we're all flawed and no one's perfect. We're just saying that to, to kind of butter up ourselves. Like, no one's perfect. That's true. But God already knows that. Duh. That's why I sent Jesus. Just get to the point where you're at and be real and go, I need to really get open. I'm lying. I'm going, I love God. But you're petting this little pet sin that you allow to stay in your life. See, when I got right with God... I knew I was getting right with God because I was sitting with men that invited me to church, and, and I had to be honest. I, don't, I believed in Jesus growing up. I went to a church that taught believing in Jesus, but I, that's it. No one ever got in my life, nor did I set up the situation where I wanted to talk about serious, secret, hidden things like impurity, like doing cocaine with only people that did cocaine, like like picking up women, and even if I wanted to become a girlfriend, boyfriend, being immoral with them, having sex outside of marriage. In fact, community and society kind of just that, if you had a girlfriend and you were faithful to your girlfriend and boyfriend or living with them, it just got so the point where it's just, that, that's okay. That's not okay. You lied. Well, no one's perfect. We all have said a lie. Yes, all men are liars. Well, you are too, I am. But we now make a decision not to lie. So if there's anyone that you lied to and you haven't dealt with it, you're either, you either need to repent as a disciple of your disciple, because guess what, you're, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, or if you just have all that, that's getting real before you even understand how to get in Christ. you got to deal with all the back stuff if you haven't dealt, and that's what you get in touch with. Well, that was 20 years ago. You still got to bring it before God because it's not like time you got more mellow and God just said, no, you got to get and acknowledge it and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sometimes we get older and we start to come to church and we go, oh, yeah, that was when I was a youngster and you know, sowing my oats and I was a little crazy. Yeah, but it's still a sin. Ten-year-old yeah. sin still needs to brought up and, brought and, and get right with God on God's terms. Amen. It's not about God hurting you. It's about you being honest. And saying, I need to live in where? Striving to fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Now let's look, well, let's translate that because some people say, I don't want to walk around think, afraid of a God that's going to put me in hell. That's wrong. That's only if you're still doing hidden things in secret against God. Now you're going to feel guilty. Because yeah. God's not wanting to be the policeman. God's just telling you this is it. I want you to come to heaven with me, and even though you can't be in the righteousness of what would be required, Jesus died for you 
to understand that it's not just a license to sin. Now it's like, no, we don't go on sinning. We died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? Heart change. Heart change. I want to find out when I'm in sin and help me understand that, God, so I continue to be grateful in the grace, but I don't want to just continue. I don't want to displease you. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So look at, uh, let's look at uh, Matthew 22, verse 37, and the title of the lesson is, The Mind is a Terrible Thing to Waste. Yeah. And as you're turning there, I was going to ask someone to turn the lights off before you play the video. Has someone got the light switch? Before you did it, someone... Uh, I'm going to ask uh, the media team to just play this video, but if we can turn the lights off real quick. It's a very short video, but I just want to play it. Is there anyone out there who still isn't clear about what doing drugs does? Okay, last time. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Some of you who are older may have remembered that, 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 that campaign. Very powerful, wasn't it, when you first saw it? Now, when I first saw it, that was in the 70s or 80s. Was it in the 90s? Yeah, see, I became a Christian in 93, and I remember before I even wanted to go to church or was invited, that would come up, and it, he would try to say that commercial, and I'd be just taking a bong hit going, <laughs> not kidding, at times. And that darn commercial just kept running, and I'd see that, and I'd look for the remote and just, I don't want to hear that, because I want to enjoy my buzz. See, even though I agree my brain was, it was not good for me, but when you're in sin, I remember that commercial, man. It, 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 I just didn't want to keep it playing. I just, you know, I wouldn't run for anybody. I'd just go, let's change channels, watch the game. Basically, in my mind, though, I don't want to hear that. It's like if someone's smoking cigarettes and someone goes, you know cancer, you can get cancer. You don't think they know that? They don't want to hear you tell them, you know, cancer is unhealthy. It'll cause cancer. It's on the box. It's been on the box from every pack they ever bought. They see the ads, and everybody tells them from their grandson to their son to their everyone, because they love you, but you know, grandpa, that's bad for you. And I know. I mean, what do you say to your grandkid? Grandpa, that, 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 that's bad for you. You're not going to say, you're just kind of, you, you feel like a fool when someone corrects you because you, you're supposed to be the example. You're like, yeah. I know, just, you know, grandpa's trying, just, you know, I'm not perfect. <laughs> grandpa has flaws too. I mean, that doesn't work, does it? The grandchild walks away and goes, that's weird. I don't know what, what that means. Yeah. Is he going to, is he still just keeps doing things that are bad that he tells me not to do, but he's doing them. Yeah. So this is your brain. And then the pan was your brain on drugs, and it was very hot, right? Yeah. And then you put your brain in, uh, in the frying, damaging pan that you're not supposed to have that much heat, and then this is your brain on drugs. Well, see, it's even deeper because that, that is sin. Drugs is sin. So this is your brain, and then you can just go, this is your brain on sin. So are you on sin? And that's why he says every hidden thing. This is what he wants to convince you that it's sin. And every single sin is destruction. So I would say that could lead to frying your life, destroying your life, damaging your life. Sin is going to hurt you one way or the other if you don't get a conviction on it. So in Matthew 22, verse 37, it says, Jesus replied, replied, replied. Jesus replied. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
See, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the first step to do that, is to seek God. And since we are alive at this time, Jesus is the final plan of God. So it's all, it's not like this is my church life. I come to church once in a while, or even if you open your Bible. It's partly, those are good things, but it's, it's this is your life. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, which most people never awaken their soul till they really seek God and are humble to the cross of Christ. And Krista, didn't she do a great job? Thank you, Krista. Chamba, we love you. You did a great job too, worry. Well, everybody's out in the car when I invite them. Oh, oh, there he is. Oh. Now, you're going to sit in the back, or you just sit with your old friend that invited you to church for the first time? Yeah, you, know, you transition. I know it's, you know, don't be sitting, don't be a back, that's the test. I'm going to see if your heart's still going to be sold out. Amen. But he's back there with Zico, and Zico invited him to church the very first time by the trash can. I'll never forget that was a trash can dumpster story. They were in the same apartment. Zico would invite him and whatnot, and then they run together, and I guess they were both taking the trash out together to the big, you know, from apartment. And I think he was kind of the, the final talk or whatever hit you was around the trash cans. <laughs> and I think Zico was probably saying, this is your brain on sin, and he was dumping the trash can. <laughs> it's trash. You're becoming trash. Your brain is, it's, it's mounting to nothing. Everything you're doing doesn't mean anything until you get with God right. So, if you look at Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament's not like, whoa, God's getting more, God was more radical in the Old Testament. Same God. Yeah. It's serious. That's what it means. Today, we allow ourselves to, in the religiosity, and it's just, we've kind of set this, you can be relaxed with God, but this heart ease that we don't need to look into it. Like sin, you know, it's, it's deadly. And it's not to, know, not to say we're not going to sin, but you need to be willing to go, what is sin? And God, help me avoid it. And God, if I, if I do it, even though I'm doing what's wrong, like Paul said, I want to repent I want, and I want to be open with other like-minded people to help me be in the grace of Jesus. Not guilted out, but I don't want it to infect me. Or, you know, no one does drugs once and then says, I just want to be a drug addict on skid roll. No one does that. See, the same thing with sin is sin feels good, but then it lies. Sin has shortcuts, and it seems like, what's wrong, man? But see, as you follow the person through their life, you'll see what's wrong. But see, they, they go from relationships to relationships, and then eventually no one's really to show them what's happened, and now they're just are 20 miles of bad road from sin. It's beating them up. Damage in that heart. So uh, I want to have our brother Earl come up. I, you know, I had Sonia come up a few weeks ago. I'm going to have Earl come up and kind of give some input on this lesson as well. Amen? Slim Papa. All right. So uh, I got 10 minutes. You know, you know that's a challenge because I like to talk. Uh, now, now I've got a timer. I just want to help you be excellent. <laughs> All right, but show of hands. How many people have either at midweek here somewhere stood up here in this pulpit and spoken before? Show of hands. Okay, so uh, all of you guys know uh, it's an honor, but it's also kind of like. And what? Where you at, Parker? Uh, it can be nerve-wracking enough to stand here, but, uh, man, what's up with that? 
I haven't really got a timer. Um, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, so, you know, 10 minutes also will go very fast, and uh, I'm already 30, 15 seconds behind what I allowed for the intro, so I really got to get moving. <laughs> All right, so uh, the charge, what I'm going to talk about is what I saw and what I see. Uh, you guys know I'm a word nerd, right? I've said it. I mean, it's fine. I'm a nerd. I'm a word nerd. I also, I love numbers. You know, uh, I stand in the back with the guy that invited me. I'm just joking because it was Paula that invited me. Uh, I do stand in the back a lot, but I, I watch and I see. And that's what I'm going to talk a little about. But we're going to start first in Scripture at Mark 11. Mark 11, verse 12 and 14. And the Bible reads, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. You know, after weeks of Paula asking uh, and actually, that might be a little bit of seem weird if you're trying to put together that scripture with me telling you what I saw and what I see. Uh, Paula, for weeks, asked me, come to church, come to church, come to church. And being a little bit obstinate and a little bit defiant, um, something that I still wrestle with, I finally came. And if you remember when we were meeting at Canterbury over there in the lake, yeah. right? Okay, one, I showed up late. Who knows how much I love being on time, how much I dislike being late. I showed up late. Why? Because well, I really didn't want to be there. But I came because I knew if I didn't, Paula would keep saying, when are you coming? When are you coming? <laughs> so I walked up, and I looked through the little tiny window, and there you all were, already started, singing, clapping, snapping stuff that I had never been part of in church. And I thought, oh, man, this is not going to be good. <laughs> and I actually thought about leaving, but I thought, again, if I don't, Paula's just going to go. So I went in. And, you know, I wish I could remember who the usher was that greeted me when I walked through the door for the first time, um, because that was something genuine, and that's where it started. And when I stood there, hoping to find a seat in the back, which wasn't available, um, uh, yeah. um, you know what I saw was I saw love for God. I saw it in the way that you worshiped, in the way that you sang. I saw it in the way that people came up and they spoke. Um, I saw it in the message that was preached from a leader. I, I'm going to say leader because I don't want to say pastor or evangelist, but from a leader who preached from a motorized wheelchair, making no excuses for what had happened in his life, but preached powerfully from a wheelchair. Um, I saw love for each other during the fellowship break. Weird, but I mean, all of it, everything was weird. But it was so real. And then after the service, watching everybody just hanging out and talking and making plans, um, I saw love. I saw love for me, some random dude who showed up in workout pants and a T-shirt, probably another indicator of my heart at the time, and just the way you guys loved and accepted. I continued to see love over the next several weeks in the studies that I was called in to do. Um, you know, I jokingly tell people I'm a Nazareth Baptist Methodistic. And, and what I mean by that is I've been, if you name the denomination a church, there's a good chance I've been in and out of it at some point in time in my life. Um, but I never saw anything so real. I've got it written down. I'll, I'll, I'll copy and send it to you. Um, 
there was just so many things. Each week, meeting week after week with brothers who were coming and giving up their time to sit and teach me things that in all these different church experiences, I'd never, I'd seen but never understood. Teaching me the word in a way that I'd never seen it. Um, barely a month into the church, I saw love from the Goatmans. <laughs> My car broke down. They didn't know me. And they loaned me their vehicle. Their second vehicle for over three weeks. They didn't know me. Um, <laughs> you know, what I saw, I saw Mitch and Blondell and Daniel stacking chairs, putting out banners. I saw Diego, Devon, Sheena uh, doing the, the techie stuff, which I'll never understand. Um, uh, Sonia, I saw Sonia. Oh, good. <laughs> Taylor's, amen. Chaz with his quippy little humor, hustles and muscles. You know, <laughs> what I saw in the church was excitement. I saw commitment. I saw zeal. So here we are a year later, and my question, and this is an audience participation question, because if you don't participate, I'm going to keep asking until you do, is are we the same church as we were a year ago? I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to yell your answer out. Are we the same church that we were one year ago? One, two, three. Wow. That's the zeal I was talking about. Can't even wait for the question count. I heard some yes. And I think, it, did somebody just say yes and no? That's, that's the answer I'm looking for. Yes and no. We are the same church. We are passionate and committed. We are zealous. But no, we're not the same church that we were a year ago. So my question is, should we be the same church that we were a year ago? Yes and no. Yes and no. We absolutely, yeah, see, all right. Yeah, see, all you students at UCF, aren't you glad I don't write your exams? Um, it's yes and no. We, we must be the same church we were a year ago, and we cannot be the same church that we were one year ago. The more important question, or the better question is, are we better? than we were a year ago. And by that, let me ask you this way. If our mission is to win souls for heaven, are we better? Are we more successful than we were a year ago? Now, you know, yeah, justify your answer, young man. Oh, man, I would love to be a professor. Explain, expound on that. Um, we, we are making it disciples, but let's, let's look at it objectively, not just what we think we see. Let's look at it from a business perspective. Look at the church as a business. What do the experts, and you'll find all kinds of numbers all over the place, but what do the experts say is required? What level of growth year after year for a business to be considered successful? 10, 20? It actually depends on what you look at. For larger organizations, it's different than smaller, but 15 to 45% growth annually, annually to be considered successful. So let's look at that in perspective to OICC, Orlando International Christian Church. What are things that we could look at that we would gauge? Baptisms, right? Studies, attendance, right? Giving, special missions, yep. How about Bible talks? All of these things, right? So uh, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm the one that counts now every Sunday to give the number. I, I was already counting last year. I, I, that's just me. Uh, you know, I'm not exactly Rain Man, but uh, I, 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 I count. I pay attention to those things. Yeah, if you laughed, you're old. 
or, <laughs> yeah, or if you chuckled. So a year ago, thereabouts a year ago, our average attendance was about 80. And right now we run up somewhere around 120. Any quick math people out there, what's that percent increase? 50. Right on. All right. I'm going to be coming back to you, Mark. Um, discipleship. For disciple, we were running roughly 70 disciples, and today we're 90. Are you crunching the numbers? 30, yeah, 30, 30%. All right. So there we go. Successful numbers, right? What about workers? What about workers? Oh, yeah, some of this is going to get a little personal. You might not like me when I come off the stage. Workers, we were roughly 33. Right now, we're roughly 45. So that's a 35% increase. Successful, right? All right. So what we need to understand is the, the critical roles here. What are the critical roles? Well, obviously, evangelists. What about your tech people? Those guys that do the nerdy things I can't do, right? Your ushers. What are your, the people that come up and sing? Right? See, these are, these are all critical roles. So, I mean, we could leave here, let's say, 100 strong today, and we could go out, and, man, we could be passionate and committed and zeal. And, yeah, are you saved? No? Come with me. Do you know the Lord? No. Come with me. You're right? Do you have a church family? No. Come with me. And we could show up next week, and 300 of us could walk in this, this building right here. And if there's no one to turn on the lights, if there's no one to, to run the music, to cue the audio, to preach, to greet, to put out the banners, to do everything... We're going to be 300 people just sitting in here staring at each other. Yeah. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, verse 1 and 2. Luke 10, 1 and 2. Little ham. <laughs> I love it. The Bible reads, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the challenge question is, is 35% enough of an increase in the workers? Yes and no. I think you're getting a pattern, right? You're getting a pattern. Yes, maybe for Orlando, but, um, you know, brothers and sisters, we're called to a worldwide movement. And we have, to, we have to see the importance of Orlando, but we have to see bigger. Yes. We have to see bigger. And we need to quit looking at minimums. Yes. We, need to, we need to be not looking at a standard that says, yes, this is right. Yes, it's good. We need to start making the standard. What is our best? Yes. What is our best? So are we each doing our part? Are we each doing our best? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to shout out no. I mean, or yes, but no. <laughs> So let's, what about the international Christian church as a movement? How are we doing as a movement? Preach. So who, who remembers how many people went with Kip? How many disciples went with Kip from Portland? 42. 42 disciples went from Portland to L.A. to start this whole movement. And since that time of 15 years, we've grown to what number? 10,000. 10, I'm not going to ask for an annual increase over that, but... I'm going to throw this number out just because I love it. That is a 28,000% increase. Some, some of you smarter people can break that down per year. All right. Um, what about the number of churches? 15 years ago, we had one in L.A., right? This year, we started with 127. 
All right, if you break that out, that's roughly an, an increase of 42% annually. Now, obviously the numbers didn't come like that. They've staggered all over the place, so let's look at it realistically. Last year, our goal was to increase by 12. That's an 11% increase over the year before. All right, this year our goal went from 17 to 19. That's a 13% increase from the year before. Now understand for an individual business owner to have a 30, 40% increase is something, but when you get into a larger corporation, and if you look at the ICC movement, International Christian Church movement as a corporation, to be this big, 11% uh, is a great number. 13% is a great number. So as a movement, how do you think we're doing? Awesome. I think we're doing awesome, I agree. All right, let's get to the meeting. How are we doing as disciples? How are we doing as individuals? How would you gauge your success as a disciple? Would you look at the number of visitors that you have coming? Would you look at the number of visitors that you have attending your Bible talk? How many studies are you in? How many studies are you leading? Now, I don't know that we could put a a percentage on those things, but they are definitely questions that we need to be asking. And if you look in, in, comp in comparison to the commission, Matthew beginning at 28, 18, don't worry about going there, but what does Jesus tell us to do? And that's, that's why we didn't, that's why we didn't need to turn there. You know, all, all I had was, all I had was go make teach, <laughs> because that's that's what's required. All right. So how many of us have have sat or not sat, but we've stood and we've rejoiced to somebody being baptized? Anybody? Right. Okay. How many of you have seen the people come on stage to share, oh, in the study with this brother, with his sister, this is what I found in their heart and this and that, and heard all these amazing stories about what happened in those studies? Yes. All right. How many of you, like me, have sat out there? and looked at the people on stage and seen the pattern of the same people coming over and over and over and marveled and thought, man, that brother's getting it done. That sister is getting it done. How many of you have like been like, that is awesome? Okay. This is where you're not going to like me. The real question should be is, why am I not on that stage? Why am I not up there sharing how I got to know that brother or sister in the study? talking about how I led that study, how anything was about me. Why are we not asking ourselves, how come we're not up here? Because that's what we're called to do. We're not called just to show up every Sunday. Go, make, teach. That's what we're called to do. That's the minimum. That's the minimum. Right? We've had a little discussion going in the, uh, the men's chat the last couple days. Single men's chat, let me be specific. Uh, about what we're doing collectively as the single men to grow the church. And a question came up about the accountability. How do we hold ourselves accountable to, to what we say we're supposed to do? And, you know, on an individual level, I don't think there's any accountability. There's no way to say, oh, because now we're pointing at our finger and watching each other. It really comes down to what is our conviction as we, as we go before our Lord and Savior. So... You know, I, I do. Let's go back to scripture. Let's go back to Mark. Yeah, give me a second. I wasn't planning on going back to Mark. Mark 11 
at 15. Chris, did you set a timer that was going to beep, or I was just supposed to be watching? Uh, sorry, brother, I'm probably over. Um, I don't want to tap your phone. Oh. <laughs> I'm just going to be, I'm going to be ignorant right now. Um, uh, audio team, there's some type of disturbance coming from the background. If you could check on that, please. You know what? Forget the scripture. Here's what I know. Is when they came back and they passed that tree, it was withered. It was dead. It was done. Why? Jesus went to that tree and he wanted something to eat, but there were no figs. Well, it wasn't in season. So was Jesus just having a grouchy, hangry moment? curse the tree because it didn't have what I wanted when I wanted, but it wasn't the time for it to, to be ready for that, right? When we look at our accountability, what Jesus, to me, was saying to that tree was, if you're only doing the minimum, if you're only doing what's expected, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed if you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing. See, when we look at ourselves and what we're doing, we may fool the people around us that see us, but you're not fooling yourself. And even if you're fooling yourself, you're not fooling God. You know, as Chris titled this sermon, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. I'm going to say also your talent, your skills, your ability, your willingness to serve is a terrible thing to waste. Everything counts. Everything matters. We count. We matter. We're critical. To God be the glory. All right. Thanks, bro. Because uh, now it's always the heart that God looks at. So it's not about if you've been in a study or haven't been in a study. It's are you, do you have the willingness to want to grow and do what God says? That's it. Like you want to willing. You don't just sit there complacent. It's like, you know, like you're not looking at a mountain going, you see that mountain over there? One of these days, I'm going to climb that there mountain, but you, it's just talk. You know, I'm, you see that Bible over there? One of these days, I'm going to start really digging in it. And I'm going to start inserting myself with other women and men that, are, that I admire, that I want, that I know are going to challenge me. I'm going to invite them. I'm going to say, I want to grow. That's the heart of someone that wants to learn uh, and grow. And, you know, so the mind is a terrible thing to waste. And what he said, by the way, business mode, we're not a business. We're, we are, you know, we have to follow the laws of a church and all those things by the laws of the Lamb. But we are all about heart for God and faith. But faith without deeds, which is putting effort into things, is dead. So, you know, sometimes people shy away. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. What Errol said was, he's not talking about praying for the lost souls. That's obvious. They're out there. Jesus says it, 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 the world's lost. That's why it came down. If there was another way to be saved, like there's not menu part two. Well, the ones that need to save be through Christ. This is the way. Otherwise, if you are a little bit better than most people were, you can come around the right side. So we know the world is lost. 
And he says, I want to use those who have found the truth and been made into a disciple willingly. They, didn't, they weren't forced. They want to understand the plan is you need to become a disciple, as Jesus defines in the Bible, which would be a Christian. But a lot of times Christianity is confusing because people grew up and just assumed and people would say things out of maybe scripture out of context. You got to get in there and go, I need to find not only what the Bible says, but you have to find a group of people literally with all heart not in a way earning it, but you see the, the, the way of life ebbing and flowing like the first century church as recorded in Acts, seeing things happen. And the heart of a disciple is following me because Jesus isn't here anymore in the flesh. He's here in the spirit. But we need to, so he said, I'm going to use one another with, with, the, with, with correctly honoring God's way of life to help show people and become, follow me as I follow Christ. So that's the way that people do it. You can't just be a, an island on your own because God never said do Christianity alone. See, my relationship, before I knew the Bible correctly, was my relationship with God. It's my relationship. And it was so private that no one knew about it. That's not biblically correct. So, you know... Uh, Point number one, and we're not going we'll to do more later, but a faithful mind is unstoppable. A faithful mind is unstoppable. Now, if you think about Moses when he was called to go back into Egypt and call, and, and as God told him to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and I'm going to use you to bring them out, he was 80 years old. Wow. It's in the Bible. Yeah. It's in the Bible. It's when he asked him in the burning bush, and in Exodus 7, 7 says Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. And Moses spent his first 40 years as a prince in Egypt. The next 40 years he spent as a shepherd in Medan. What a contrast of life. See, God doesn't look at the way man does. He goes, you need to work on this now. I'm going to put you out there. And go through whatever you're going to learn. And then when God called him back to go to Egypt to lead the, the people in prison to the, the, the Israelites, God's people that were held against their will, and lead them into the promised land, he was 80 years old. So a mind is, you know, but, but you have to realize if Moses didn't have the faith in God, it would have been totally stoppable. In fact, a lot of us would probably say, if you, could you imagine your, if you had your grandfather still and they called you up and said, we are so fired up. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I learned how to follow the Bible. And then you get a call, you know, maybe the next year. Hey, guess what? Grandpa and I were going over to, uh, you, know, Tim, uh, you know, some country on the other side of the world. You might even go, what are, what, who's over there? Who's leading you? What's going on? You're, you can't do that. You're too old. How's that going to work? Yeah. And why there needs to be advice and, and understanding of evil situation. If you're right now where you're at and you're going, Ma, I, I, you have faith in God, then you should be growing to be unstoppable. You're stoppable. You and I have limits. Yeah. And it doesn't mean everybody's going to do the same thing. But it's once again the heart Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why or what is the reason? And you don't have to explain yourself to people because that's never going to be that way. But people can draw your heart out and challenge you. 
as they get to know you, like what's going on really. And even if you just don't want to do it, that's no one's going to force you. But at least you're honest and go, that's where I'm at, God. I'm not wanting to do it. Now you said it. God still loves you. But now you can get in touch with what's going on. And God's not God's going to work with you. Because you just need to have a willingness, and God wants to know. Amen. See what I'm saying? Or, or I'm not going to repent of this sin, okay? Don't act religious then. Don't act like, hmm, but, and, and, and then those hidden things that you know no one still knows, and you're playing Mr. Nice Church person. That's not really right. Because that's hypocritical, and now you're faking other people out, and people that want to see true Christianity are going are gonna to get misunderstood by you. So I'd rather just have you just best go back out in the, all in the hidden world and just stay deep in your hidden sins until you're ready to get really real and bring it all out. Otherwise, we just would rather you say, nice service, it's not for me. Because no one's going to judge anyone, but we need to be honest with God, and then trust as we're honest with each other, we're helping each other grow. Um, so, if you look in, look in uh, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, a faithful mind is unstoppable, you know, and it's not just once. It's not like I go get my faithful shot from the doctor, the faithful shot once a year, and now I got faith for the rest of the year, unstoppable. No, man. I got to be reminded by God's promises. I think the song that the song leaders were singing up here, uh, God's unchanging ways, God's unchanging. Yeah. I change. I got to get brought back. I get weak. I get weary. I get overwhelmed. I get uh, frustrated. I can get angry. I can get in a wrong place spiritually. I got to keep going back to God and his word and being honest. Because it's never me. I just got to go, I'm willing, but I'm struggling. Help me with my heart. And then it's not you. You're just willing, and that's unstoppable. If God wants to work with you, you don't look at what you're doing. You're just willing. And God, with faith, God will do anything. Don't worry about it. Just step up to your own challenges. Look in Colossians 2.9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. See, Jesus is the head leading the church. And God and Jesus is over the whole world. And, and, and even though he doesn't approve of authorities that are in power and darkness and you know, he still is allowing or causing everything to happen. It doesn't mean he approves of it because he has to give free choice. See, fear God. Fear God and obey his commandments. That's the wholehearted duty. Loving, that's what it really means is I love God. I want to learn to love you, God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And remember, I told you, that's the greatest commandment. If you're in that commandment, you haven't even got to people yet. It's just between you and God and what God says in his word. And now you got to get real and allow the word of God to cut your heart. But if you look at this, Christ in all the fullness of his deity lives in bodily form. See, Paul is helping us understand that it means that all of God was in Christ's human body as a human being. Jesus is gone human being wise. As a human, he was a human being. God was a human being. And then that means he's still here. God is everywhere. Jesus is here. But he's not inside with you until you understand what it means 
according to God's word and way Jesus finds to be in him. You can't just decide you're in him. You, that's a good start, but then you got to go, God, what do you say? What does your word say? What does Jesus say? And you've got to decide. Otherwise, everybody designs their own version, and then there's no unity. Everybody just comes and goes and does whatever they want. And they go, you know, you know I've had people say, when, they, when they're playing golf, I remember I was studying with somebody, he's like this. Chris, see, this is church for me. And he's on the putting green. See, I work really hard, and this is church for me. And he's getting ready to putt a ball, and, a, and it was beautiful. Have you ever been on a golf course? I hate golf course, but I'll drive the golf cart if you want to play. Because, I mean, I hate playing golf. It's just too boring for me. No offense. For me. Everybody else, all the guys, I, a lot of guys I've known all over the place, they're like, they go, oh, I got to pick off. I'm like, after the seventh hole, I'm like, we're going to play 18? It's like, this is like four hours. My whole day's done. But it's so beautiful, isn't it? If you're on a nice course, even when you're on the green, you're, you can enjoy the grass. It's soft. The putting green is like, man, they take care of it. No wonder the dudes are... 10,000 a month. But the guy goes, Chris, see, this is church for me. And he was, you know, he didn't understand the Bible, but he was telling me he's right with God, and this is what he does. And I said, bro, I said, they, might not golf, they, they, they may not have golf in heaven. And he goes, yes, they do. And I said, well, if they do, you may not be allowed to play until you study the Bible and understand what church really means from Jesus' point of view. Doesn't mean you can't go play golf. Doesn't mean you can't still play golf, but you got to change your mind. You got to get your mind right. Your faith in God is incorrect because you haven't aligned it with the words of God. So a faithful mind is unstoppable, but a faithful mind must understand and submit to the word of God and understand and find who's a disciple. And you may say, I don't know about you in this church. Well, then you just ask questions. And as you're going, this is what puts us, it forces, this, are we really doing it? Not by approval, like looking at works, but is the heart of what we're doing, everybody agreeing and striving to be what the Bible says and doctrinally agreeing. Amen. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so look around you all over the world, all over wherever you go. People are searching for something to give their lives meaning, purpose, and direction. Yeah. Just be honest. Few people seem content, even really, you know, nothing. And by the way, it's important to do your best on earth. Yeah. I commend, I love the part of our campus ministry. I'm fired up when people graduate from college, if that's what they decided to do. But if you're not, if you're in some other thing, you, you excel. Yeah. You, the Bible says, do whatever you do, do as though you're the Lord. So work really hard. You will get raises, you will get promotions, because if you do it as though you're working for Jesus, doing your job, don't read your Bible. Go on. They don't want you to read your Bible when they're paying you. You need to be working for them. They, they're just looking at you as a religious, oh, I don't want to hear any more of that religious stuff because you, you're not a good employee. You talk about Jesus, but you're not on time. You know what I mean? So do your job. Share your faith, but be wise at lunch, you know, in between sandwiches. How you doing? You want to come to church? Few people, now, because you know why this God put this void in our hearts? A strange and vague inner vacuum leaves most people with an uneasy sense of incompleteness if you don't understand it's God. People don't understand it. They're trying. They could be, have a great marriage. They could live for their family. They could put everything they have, and those are good in and of themselves. But without God and putting God first and serving, even if you get successful and you have money and you have rental properties or you have a summer home and whatever, 
people that you're just retired and we're going to go over here for the week and people just tell you, oh, it's on our summer house. The birds were so pretty. We had the grandchildren come with us. That just is incomplete if that's it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not wrong to have a great family. Yeah. I'm going to say this again. God put a void in us. That's why when, when, when uh, Solomon, through the spirit at the end of Ecclesiastes, says now the conclusion of the matter is here. I've tried everything and I have more than everything you'll ever have or will have. He went off the deep end and tried everything. And even in and of itself, he did great construction projects. And he was power guy. And he was charismatic. You know, and then he went into the sin zone and just into the, you know, everything without God. He was trying to find meaningfulness under the sun without God. That's why everything under the sun. He was trying to go, I want to be complete and not, and maybe acknowledge God, but not include God. Right. A strange and vague inner vacuum leaves most people with an uneasy sense of incompleteness, meaning they don't know even. They're doing their best, but they haven't been taught fully, adequately, what it means to be a disciple. Yeah. Like myself, and like my wife, and many included. We, yeah. we believed in God and believed in Jesus, but until we were humble enough to go, okay, I'll come, oh, all right, I'll study the Bible, and then you still don't trust you. you go, what, what does it mean? And then they answer your questions and show you scripturally how it means to follow Jesus. Right. Not just at church. What is the heart starting to look like in behavior in life? Yes. See what I'm saying? And it's a, it's a progress, not perfection. It's growing in the Lord. Amen. Only Christ is saying fully he can fill your heart and fill that vacuum. You can be a religious going to church all your life. If you don't, if you never became a disciple and really understood the truth, you could be deceived your whole life because sincerity does not equal the truth yeah. do you, do you, necessarily. Even if someone's sincere and they're not trying to lie, if they don't really understand or haven't really learned something, but they think they have, if it's wrong, it's wrong. And unless they're using the Bible and explaining and then looking at Scripture, yeah. there's no way around it. Right. And now people, don't, people just don't want to deal with that. Especially older people that have been going to church and been good people. They don't want to hear that stuff, man. They don't want, they, the Bible seems so far from their life and students just to open the Bible and go, okay, and then even the fact that you have to admit, maybe I'm wrong. So, oh, that's hard, isn't it? For me, I was done. And I'm not trying to say I was prideful. I was just so deep in sin. God said, you're just, you need someone to get in there. I was so meaninglessly meaningless. I was, I, I went after everything. I have a college, I have two degrees. I was in the military anti-terrorism unit. I went to acting. I got my SAG card. I, all these little accomplishments. I was so empty. Wine, women, song, do whatever I want, money, living in the Hollywood Hills. You know, it, 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 I didn't look, I didn't, no one knew I was feeling empty. No one. But I had that uneasy, that, and I wasn't even going, I'm wrong with God. I just don't know any better. Every time I got really bad, I'd go to the only church I grew up with once in a while and just go in. Just sit there and then try to, you know, even go to the service. Yeah. Not, and, just, and at the end, I'd leave and then I just was trying to, I don't, no one asked me anything, no one did anything. Yeah. And I don't even know. And then I went to a, like some Bible study and there was like, you know, it was like, that was even more weird, no offense. And after I became a disciple, because I'd walk out not understanding. And see, true disciples in a church teach people lay terms on how to understand the Bible. It's not like, oh no, it's too hard. Because it's always about the heart. A sixth grader can understand to become a disciple if they're humble. It's all humility, either pride and defensiveness, defending your way of growing up and your religion, and just go say about churches, man. Let's just be honest. Let's just raise everything and just go, what's the Bible teach? I'm open to just what can we learn from God's word? And you'll find it's pride, defensiveness. 
So your way of thinking determines your destiny. And I'm talking about obviously eternal life with God, but your way of thinking, man, your mind is not only a terrible thing to worse, your mind can be molded by who you grew up with and who you were compartmentalized in high school. That damages a lot of people all the way out. Whoever, whatever lump you were in, if you weren't with the popular people or you looked at, or you were this, that, it's almost weird. You get stereotyped or you were hurt as a kid or by anybody. Words, you, can, you, you don't even realize your past is defeating you. Christ can overcome that. You've decided who you have to be to fit in some kind of weird psychological human thing because you don't even understand what the power of Christ did. Yeah. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. But we're all, that's what the world does. We're all classified and compartmentalized. Then we allow ourselves to assimilate because we want to belong. Yeah. But that may not be true necessarily, totally, who you really are. So I'm going to close out here, and we're going to continue with this point when we come back Sunday. Your way of thinking determines your destiny, and we're going to look spiritually how it has to start because you can't break strongholds in your mind ultimately without Christ. And I'm talking about blowing up possible ways you thought you are. You don't even see a door. No, God's going to give you a piece of dynamite that you can blow that wall out and go, no, you're not limited here. Your mind, your strongholds, your way of thinking, the damage of your family or your parents divorcing, you just are damaged. And that needs to be broken because somehow it's held you back. So, guys, you think Moses saying, what? When God said, hey, come here, 80-year-old old guy. He went to the bush was burning, right? And it's funny, Moses looked at the bush, and we even see what he thinks. The Bible writes what he thinks, and he thought to himself, well, I must go over and investigate. That's a good brain. He went over, and then God started talking to him. He was set up. Not only was he old, he had a wife and kids, and he liked the way I'd be out in the wilderness. He liked the country life. (laughs) He was out out there, and he loved the better ones. His father-in-law, Jethro, was awesome. Now you're talking to me to rock the boat and I need to leave? Tell me I'm going to go and I could get killed? This is a whole, this is radical, radically derailing my thought for the rest of my life. You're breaking my dream. Well, guess what? Once he understood that he's going to fear God and obey his commandments, we're willing to break our dreams for God's dreams. And you know what? That's where you are on the top of what God wants you to do. So God be the glory. Amen.